Does that make me the granddaughter of the devil? Mm, yeah, the I think so. But then there's that statement where God doesn't have any grandchildren. People love that statement. What? You're listening to Deeper Magic. Have you never heard the statement, people, that, that God has... We better start this podcast and we can talk about that. Hey, everybody. This is the Deeper Magic Podcast. We are back. Anna, I'm Peter, and we are back after a couple weeks uh, off. I mean, I think we were able to actually have an episode that we had done with yeah, Noah and Holly, and, and but I've been away in Scotland for a few weeks and uh, a little bit under the weather. Yep. You are busily studying, well, at least studying. I'm not sure how busily, because you've been. You, it seems like to me when you're sitting at your alleged computer, allegedly doing your alleged homework, oh. that you have been all about shadow and bone lately. As it's That's uh, been come the up, last three days, all of which I have been on spring break. For, <laughs> I've only been so home for three days. All oh, right, okay, that's fair. If you're on spring break, I guess that's okay. I also had one of those weird moments a minute ago where I was like, "Oh, we really are related." When there was like that weird four seconds between when we were like, "Okay, at this mark, we're gonna." start the episode and then while we were waiting to start the episode you wanted to say we something. did the same dance did we what did we do we both just did this like little rocking i can't dance it was you really understand funny. i have no rhythm no it was like this little like do 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 neither of us can say so. oh well yeah we have studio cat in here with us yeah today. we do lola, lola has found something something to play with so we brought our, we brought one of our four She's cats in with us yeah, that was your idea and we're looking forward to this episode today because this is the episode where all the people who have understandably questioned your faith Along the way for the different things that you've said, the the heresy that you've spouted, the mm. the inaccuracies that you've uttered. Um, th- this heresy. is this is the episode where you are gonna give your testimony. And we're gonna find out if biblically speaking from That was such a bad time to mute myself. I muted myself so that I could have a drink of my vodka root beer. <laughs> and then you were like, <laughs> Is that part of your testimony? Give your testimony? And I was like, I can't say anything. You, usually testimonies involve freedom from vodka root beers. And you're gonna no. give your testimony in the middle of vodka root beer it's with about Studio Cat in vodka here. Root beer, I see. Actually. That's so, what my real testimony And is. we're gonna we're gonna definitely find out today if from first John three, one of the letters in the new testament if you based on your testimony if you're a child of the devil because that's actually a phrase i have a and weird f- question about first john actually real quick please do because are there are there two johns and three peters Why, watching you peters watching you john. puzzle over scripture as the <laughs> no, daughter no, of a bible because, professor because is my favorite thing, thing is that it's matthew mark luke and john right well, that's pretty and good what are those what are those called collectively what are they called no what are they called Gospel. Okay. I know some things. Um, okay, but then is are there three Johns or just two? Because <laughs> it's first, here's second, a, and third. Yeah, John. no. And here's the thing about this: I would, I would first and second Peter. Yes, and I would yeah. wager that fewer than one percent of all believers would be able to say one thing. Maybe from First John, because there's a famous passage like First John one nine. But oh, uh, that's a camp song. So that's, that's another the one, one. That I know. You're yeah. right. But Second John and Third John, there is. I would wager. A pretty significant, like half the mortgage payment that we have, mm. uh, that only one percent or fewer of believers know any verse from Second John and Third John. And I confess, as a Bible like, expert, is this a recognition of, or is this uh, off the top of my head? No, yeah, well, both. I mean, the reality is, I can't name a verse. I, I mean, you only run across them by accident if yeah. you're on your way to Revelation. That's fair. At the end of the day, you every once in a while don't go far enough and you find yourself in Jude. Mm-hmm. And and other times you're like, oh, boy, there's a third letter to John. Who knew that it's just yeah. one page in scripture? Okay. So, But this is my question yes. about first, second, and third John. Right. Does that make 
the Gospel of John, like zero John, <laughs> John zero. It's kind of like in the UK because they right? have ground floor and first floor. Like yeah, first floor in like the United that, States like is ground, ground floor. John. And then we have first John, second John, John. John. That's 100% what I'm calling right? the Gospel of John from here on out ground is ground John. John. I've been thinking about this for no, years. It's just totally and I legit. Have never said it and there's no ground before. Peter. There's no only ground John. This is unfiltered thoughts with Anna. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. I've been up for more than 12 hours at this point. Watching um, Shadow and Bone on your spring no. break. I mean, working. Kind of, yeah. Since and you've had one sip of vodka root beer, and this is what we get. Several sips of vodka root beer. All right, right. Well, ground, ground John. And, but in First mm-hmm. John 1, there's a famous passage of Scripture. Well, it's actually not maybe that famous. There's a passage of Scripture, and I heard some <laughs> teaching on it recently. We're going to get into this as part of the podcast okay. and part of your, <laughs> your testimony today. I'm glad today, to know this has a point. Is that in First John, there's this phrase that says uh, that, that there are some who are children of the devil or something along those lines. Oh, yeah. And I heard some very disturbing teaching on that passage not too yeah, long ago actually. in which the world got divided up by the people who were teaching. The world got divided up, and, and Studio Cat is after some sort of little Nerf. <laughs> I just heard a thump yeah, like some little <laughs> Nerf uh, Nerf pellet ball. Uh, but but teaching was along the lines of dividing up the world between those who have done some sort of testimonial ritual that got them positioned correctly and uh, for heaven, and so they're no longer children of the devil versus. Our, and so the question is. Uh, what does it even mean to be a child of the devil? We're going to cover that in this episode. That is a disturbing passage of scripture, but it comes up often on that. So well, it, I know how excited you are yeah. to do your my testimony. Because <laughs> testimony, sorry, you're... Lola's also like freaking out right next to me, and I'm really afraid that she's going to attack me. So, yeah, like, was well, your idea to bring the cat the into studio I didn't today? Know she was going to lose her mind. Well, my favorite part was just before we came down, one of our other cats, Finn, stood on the deer feeder. And oh it's not a deer gosh. feeder because it's illegal in our <laughs> municipality of Excelsior to have a deer feeder. We can. We it's have, not a deer feeder. We, we have some sort of stand in which we put food. Deer we had feed there. We had five deer, and Finn just sat in the feeder and ate. And the deer were, speaking of losing their minds, they were losing oh, their yeah, minds because the cat was in the feeder. But before we get on the testimony and your testimony for today, we do have one thing we need to cover is that you continually and consistently are having car issues. So you're in our last episode, we talked a little bit about you getting a flat tire in downtown Minneapolis, which is having its issues currently. It's always been a beautiful city. But in the last yeah. couple of years, since the George Floyd incident that happened and, and all of these questions of social unrest and and unfair treatment that I think are incredibly important questions to ask. One of the byproducts of that has been a change in Minneapolis that it isn't necessarily currently the safest place to be, just no. statistically speaking. And sure. and there's so many important conversations to be had. I'm not at all blaming the state of Minneapolis on what happened with George Floyd. It just means that our, our many of our cities are having a reckoning right yeah. now of different kinds. And one of the results of the reckoning is that Minneapolis is not safe and, and as safe as it used to be. And you blew out a tire, or you know, you didn't blow out your tire. You blew I out your rim, rim of your tire. Wheel. You now have a mismatched rim Which on is your car. So much worse, right? So annoying. But so, but then I go to Scotland, and and as I'm in Scotland, I get a phone call from you. And what happened? Yeah. So I was shoveling the driveway, which is the thing that I'm supposed to do because you're out there shoveling the driveway at like 11 p.m. so that it doesn't turn into ice. It's or whatever. totally true. So I was like, man, I guess I should. Well, actually. Uh, the people who were staying with us, we all joked about 
actively turning our driveway into an ice skating rink just in time for you to come back. You did that to me. We I really thought about you it. Ha- we have people that come over in their 60s and 70s and 80s, and we want to keep it. none of them were coming over soon. <laughs> so were you so basically we were like, mocking me yes, for being out there? Yes, yeah. we were. All right. Um, but I was shoveling the driveway because that's what I was doing. And I was doing it with my youngest brother, and I moved my car into the street so that I could shovel the part of the driveway where my car was. Um, and I was not by any means in the middle of the street. I watched two massive pickup trucks go barreling past. Without, no problem. No like, problem. Not even hesitation. They were just like, whatever, It's there's just a car. Um, and while it was parked there, I watched a... Uh, like not a truck properly, but it was like a hybrid between a truck and a van. Like it was one of those weird cars. Okay. Um, and it was parked a little further up the street and was doing construction on one of our neighbor's houses or whatever. And it started backing up down the street to get into their driveway. And I'm standing there watching it. And I'm like, hmm, that looks really close to my car. And then about a second later, I was like, no, that is really close to my car. And then I was like, mm, that's going to hit my car. And then it hit my car. Um, what did you think in the mo- it's I, I mean, it's it doesn't happen often when you when the car gets hit but it's yeah. like that's not a daily experience so no. what were you thinking when it was going on I mean my 12 year old brother heard some words he shouldn't have heard that's for sure <laughs> I like I'm just standing and I'm like there's nothing I can do about Do you even it. have a testimony that's no. like it has any faith involved no. in it at all no. none Absolutely not. none none uh, okay um, because no, there's another book that called James, and it's not it's Ground James. It's the only James, so it's Ground James. And and I mean, it says that faith without works is dead. And your works currently, so far, and hey, our works are I'm great. Looking, I'm looking at the, in the nine minutes that we've started this podcast so far. You've referenced uh, multiple sips of a vodka root beer, and uh-huh. that you swear often, not just in your mind, like most Christians. Most Christians right. keep it in their mind. <laughs> I just want to live out. The actions that are inside. I'm being yeah. authentic. And that's true. You're not that's hypocritical. That's no, very true. I was talking to another person today that was talking about how often they swear in their mind. I wonder if yeah. we if we took a poll of believers, what what do you think would be the percentage? I have no idea. But what oh, would yeah. be what would be the percentage you'd put on it if it was if, oh, if the 100%. question? A hundred percent. I'm so sure. I, I actually once, agree with you. At least once. I would hazard a guess that. Ninety percent of believers swear in their mind somewhere between one to seven times a week. Yeah, I think. I mean, no, I, I like. I think that's got to be pretty close. I had a specific person in mind, but I'm not going to say who. <laughs> I think we can all visualize a few people that were like, <laughs> but I was like "We've never heard you I swear." Have never yes. heard you swear aloud, but I'm so so sure that they swear in their head all the time. Oh yeah, this is like Jesus Sermon on the Mountain Absolutely. stuff, right? I mean, it's like, oh, well, yeah. what's going on in your heart? Is it, what, why you might as well just be real about it at the end of the day. Oh, for sure. And and I don't mean <laughs> I don't mean real with like sinful actions, but even swearing no. is a that's a questionable. Like I cannot take uh, God's name in vain. I, I, I that right. is that's just out of bounds um, for me. But I mean, swear words feel like they're more socialization words, not like intrinsically bad words. Oh, okay. I have a rant, and I'm gonna make it a mini rant. Yeah, we gotta get back to your car in a second. I know. But go ahead. I know yes. we do. But the thing is, is that oh, okay. A lot of information compressed into a small period of time. Um, basically, it's more about swearing oaths where it's more about making a promise in right. such and such God's That's name. That's exactly right. That's what that means. It's about like swearing an oath or or doing a thing, um, not like, oh, you said a bad word. It's like, don't make promises in the name of another God. That's don't, exactly right. Like, 
bind yourself to another god through your word. Like, it's all of that. So our modern swear words, it's that's not what it applies no, to. No, it's, it's for sure just not. not. Um, and that's not, I mean, because in Ground Matthew, I'm going to use this. And, the, and for the whole podcast now, that's just happening. But can it be Ground Matthew if there's just one? If there's not, well, I, I don't know. Because I've never anybody say ground floor if there's just one floor. <laughs> that's true. That's the thing. There's no Okay, floor. all right. Well, in Matthew, when it talks about not swearing an oath, to your yeah. point, it, and it really is so about. Ground Peter and First Peter, <laughs> which do. is really second we have... Peter. So that's going to make everything more because first Peter. No, because there's ground no ground Peter. Peter. It's only well, it's true. There has to be a that's ground true. Peter. You there's ground Thessalonians a, and ground ground, ground ground. Well, the other thing that's disturbing is that there's ground Corinthians and first Corinthians, as we know them as first and second. But Paul references another letter Stop that he wrote. Clawing up the carpet. You yes, maniac. Studio Cat is not doing well. Stop. But in first Corinthians, they um, Paul references other letters that he wrote. And so if we found one of those letters, would they suddenly yeah. be scripture? That's a question for a different time. Okay, so let's wow. get We're so let's so get back to car. Yes. But these are all important. Um, well, and my quick Matthew comment about oaths, I think, is important, too, is when it says that don't swear on let, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Yeah. Don't swear on oath under heaven and earth is Jesus is basically saying don't try to um basically reinforce your case for something by bringing an oath of God into it. Just be the kind of person that your yes is your yes and your no is your no. And if you're a trustworthy yes. kind of person, people trust your yes and trust your no. And I, that's, I actually know comparatively few people that I trust enough that when they say yes or when they say no, that that there isn't some sort of hidden agenda around all of that. They're just let your yes be yes and your no be no. So that's, that's the point yeah. of all of that. But you watch this, this van truck hybrid back into your car. You swore in your mind. You swore out loud. It sounded I like. I sure did. And then what happened from there at that point? Because you probably didn't, as a 21-year-old, you probably didn't know exactly what to do next. Oh, no. I knew. You I, did? Oh, yeah. Okay. For sure. And so I, the damage was not bad at all. It just, he scraped along the side of my car and then hit one of my side mirrors and it just like knocked the plastic cover off the mirror. Which you picked up and managed Which to I sort of reassemble. So yeah, that was impressive. Fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, so really it's like a very small amount of damage and a paint job. Um, so it's not that big a deal. But uh, I... I mean, obviously, I don't know all of the steps of the process, but I was like, I know that that wasn't my fault. And I know that his insurance or our insurance or somebody's insurance is going to cover it, but I'm not paying for that. That was what I knew because I was like, I'm not. Right. That is not my fault. Um, and so there was kind of a little bit of a moment when he got out of the car and he was really, really nice. Um totally like gave me his company and insurance information and whatever. And it's like, you can talk to my boss. He'll get it sorted out, like whatever. But there was kind of this weird moment where I was like, all right, I'm a 21 year old young woman in her pajamas, by the way, <laughs> and no makeup. So I look like I'm about 12. <laughs> that's um, a phrase I've never said in my pajamas with no makeup. In my pajamas. I, but that's no a makeup. thing, isn't it? That like, is a you're, thing. You're regularly in your pajamas with no makeup. Oh, that's okay. That's actually super <laughs> fair. <laughs> but I don't, it's not like I have an alternative. I don't go yeah. makeup free versus makeup full. And, uh -huh. but that is a thing for women, isn't it? Like you, how much of your day, if you're wearing this is no makeup, sidetrack. It, but it's important because yeah. I'm just wondering if you're to, I actually have never asked this question before. Okay. But how readily and easily do you leave the house with no makeup on? Very rarely. Really? Mm hmm. 
So you're aware of it as you walk out the door, whether you've put on your makeup for the day versus not. Oh, for sure. There's some things like if I'm going to Cub or like Target or something, then (laughs) I don't care. Okay. But like if I'm like whatever, but uh, or like when I was working in the warehouse or whatever, I was like, I feel gross. I look gross. I'm gonna take a shower when I get home. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. Um, but like I usually have a little bit of makeup on. I don't. I mean, I have days where I do wear a fair amount of makeup, but usually I don't like how it feels on my skin. Like it. I, my skin is really sensitive, so I don't often wear a lot of makeup, um, but I'm always wearing at least a little. Do you have any draw at all to do like the capital makeup and Hunger Games kind of thing where you just like go completely wacko and go, I mean, you you're talked about going clubbing. And yeah. so I, would you ever like go completely capital Hunger Games and go clubbing, that whole thing? You're going to get a little window into a, a young woman's life right now. I can almost guarantee you that every young woman at some point in her this life- This is already terrifying. I don't even know how you're going like, to finish the sentence. It's it's usually past 10 o'clock at night. Okay, which is when I'm sleeping. sometimes later, yeah. they're bored, they're awake, they feel gross. They go and they put on full face, capital makeup, experiment. They just like, at home? Yeah, just for fun. With no intention of going out? Nope. Because they, well, they don't know not if it's going to look good or not. This is my- just f- wanna, I've never heard this this before. Multiple times in my life. There's no way. Yeah, like full, like you know the makeup I used to wear for dance recitals. Yes. Like that, but more. Really. Uh huh. (laughs) Yeah. Just, just for like. Like I've never even weighed that option before. Look like I've never been. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've never been up past ten thinking, huh? I mean, basically, I turn on some taped golf tournament and fall asleep if it's Mm -hmm. past ten. I've yeah. never thought of weighing whether I should just go full guns blazing on some sort of makeup. I can almost guarantee you that every young woman who wears makeup on a regular basis right. has done that. I'm going to ask around. I'm definitely going to ask around, and I believe Please you. Do. I believe that's yeah. true. All right, so to finish up the car story, because we got to get to your testimony and find out if you're a child right. of the devil, as per First John. He was. I mean, basically, all that to say, there was this weird silence for a minute where I was like, "Is he gonna?" offer this information of his company and his insurance right away? Right. Or am I going to have to try and be authoritative as the 21, 12-year-old <laughs> in her pajamas? Right. Like, how is this going to go? And and he did. He totally, like, gave me all his information, was like, we'll get it all sorted out. I did the document and, like, the photos and all of it and sent it over. And I think we're getting it taken care of. But basically, I just am getting all of my car trouble out of the way. Poor... Poor Houston. Yeah, well, <laughs> which is my car's name. Your car's name, is, car's Houston. name is Houston. Why? Did, why did you name it Houston? Um, because I like to say that he has anxiety. <laughs> your car, Houston, like has, everybody else well, in the you've world today. Driven my car. You I know have. that, like, there's all of the sensors and everything. Okay, I I want to qualify the statement with: if it was just me sitting here alone saying that my car has all these sensors and they go off all the time, even when nothing is wrong. That could very easily be interpreted as I'm a bad driver and I'm refusing to admit that. Everybody who has driven my car has been like, why is it doing that? And I'm like, because it's freaking out and there's nothing wrong. And so it's named Houston because we always have problems, but we never actually have a problem. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. And and, and my car is – I love naming cars because my car is this white car and uh, and because I drive somewhat quickly – 
Uh, we've, really? <clears throat> yes, we've named my car Shadowfax, which I, I love that. Gandalf's horse in Lord of the Rings. So to, to have it as Shadowfax. But I don't have the AI or the alleged AI issues that yeah. you have in no, your Kia. You, and you turn and, off my music if I turn on my turn signal while there's another car in the lane. It's a little weird. It's a little, and you have the version of Kia that is not the easily thievable Kia, like the oh, yeah. from like 2000 whatever to 21. There's mm-hmm. all these Kia get get your car stolen challenges out there. Which so, I want to know how you know about TikTok challenges. <laughs> Are you on TikTok and you just have been holding out? Well, you understand, like when I start putting makeup on past 10 o'clock uh-huh. at night, that's, yeah, that's oh, when I so I also get relevant and watch the TikTok uh, on that. No, I've just I've heard about it. And especially because your car was not the easiest to maybe insure at first, or at least I had heard that maybe it wouldn't be, primarily because uh, there is all of this car theft going on, mm-hmm. where especially Kias and Hyundais are getting killed, uh, or you know just they're not getting killed, they're, they're getting, getting stolen. Killed. Well, I, we've already personified <laughs> them. I know we've already personified. <laughs> Sorry, I'm mixing up my near capital crimes tonight. I haven't even sipped your vodka root beer. <laughs> okay, so the Kia. Is... <laughs> See, I'm already. There. <laughs> You're gonna have to pull this together. Uh, I'm already there on artificial intelligence. I'm personifying your car that has alleged oh artificial intelligence, and okay. and all I can say is that in all of the fear and all of the concern and all of the worry <laughs> that your that that AI is going to take over the world mm-hmm. your car's complete inability to understand read and respond oh, to anything. a given situation at the correct time mm-hmm. it, it's not any different than Alexa these little listening devices that cannot oh, yeah. simply understand what you're saying if AI is going to take over the world, it's going to be many, many, many centuries mm-hmm. from now because my car slams on its brakes if there's another car fifty feet ahead of me in the other lane, and, and it drives me wild. And you're yeah. at least in my in, in Shadowfax, I can turn off most of this alleged artificial intelligence. Oh yeah, I can't turn. You mine can't off. turn yours off. I don't. I don't understand that. It as... also won't let me turn cruise control on if it the does. sensor <laughs> isn't working. It's so, so like, the rubbish. Thing that like forces the distance between cars. Yeah, it won't let me turn on my cruise control if that sensor isn't working yeah and it and I'm it's like, just maddening it's like hello could i please be in charge of the vehicle that this i purchased my car. exactly it's the, it's the thing from hercules fantastic movie by the way the disney version of yeah. it yeah Where i hadn't Hades seen that forever yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's like aren't we forgetting one little detail i own you yeah, exactly <laughs> that's what that's what it that's feels what like. it is and and yeah. the people that program this alleged intelligence in the cars they, it clearly is not working i know that no, elon elon musk is terribly afraid of the idea that again ai is the biggest threat to humankind as part of well, for a number of reasons, he wants to get us to Mars. But I know that he has been saying that AI is the is the most significant threat to humankind. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just not seeing it. I you know, I it's know. AI can be really good at chess. I'm not too worried about My it taking over the is, world. Is that I am fully convinced that if AI does take over the world, it will be his fault. That's wow, that's the thing. that's I the irony of the whole thing. Direct result of whatever he's doing. That guy, he's he's an interesting dude. We'll have to maybe have a podcast about him. But mm-hmm. one of my favorite things about a him, whole separate podcast. Oh, not just for an sure, he is an he's an interesting cat. But I, did you see what he named? What he's got maybe about a two ish year old kid. I want to say. Did you see what yeah. he he what They're they like named him? A E dash whatever. whatever. Yeah, some yeah. crazy Something. name on yeah. that. Yeah, no. So. I I still laugh about the Anne Hathaway clip where she's like. 
it, she was pregnant and she was like on a talk I like, show or she, something. Well, you said it uh, about Anne night. Hathaway. Yeah, you, yeah. Were, you told me a little bit about this. And you're right. People, generally speaking, she's one celebrity people yeah, don't Hathaway not like. Ryan Reynolds. Like, yeah, they, they like them. Yeah, where yeah. I'm like, I've never, Anne Hathaway and Ryan Reynolds, I have mm. never met anybody who has had, like, I've never met anybody who has disliked either of them. Right. But I've also never met anybody who has had passive feelings about either of them. Like everybody that I know, Anne Hathaway and Ryan Reynolds, they're like, I love them. And I'm like, I do too. They're right. fantastic. Right. I think they're great. They are great. I but, like them both. And Blake Lively. But I don't know how much of that is her and how much of that <laughs> is her association with Ryan I genuinely Reynolds. do not know Blake Lively. I know that I've heard I the name. I know you know who it is. Uh, probably. Was she in High School Musical or anything? No. We're going to move on. Um, <laughs> I don't know who that is. Anne Hathaway. She was pregnant. She was on a talk show. And she was talking about how one of her favorite things to do is when other celebrities are asking her about her baby names, right. she will, on the spot, come up with the most ridiculous name that she can think of. <laughs> the celebrity just swoon? how weird she can make it before somebody will say something. And she was like, I have said the most absurd names. And every, like... Nobody has batted an eye. They've all just been like, yep, that's a beautiful name for your baby. How unique. How wonderful. And she's like, I don't know, John or something is what right. I'm probably going to name my kid. Like, right. I just think it's so funny. She is, yeah. That, uh, celebrity culture is a weird culture. Having, it's uh, so weird. Yeah, done some radio work and media work over the years. Uh, let's just it, – it's, it's interesting to me how often – we revere or esteem or put on pedestal people that uh, really at the end of the day are not terribly well socially adjusted no. on, on any level uh, and seeing them. Okay, so let's get to your, to your testimony. My testimony. And, and I will try to sprinkle in some of what was difficult for me when I was hearing some recent teaching, just some public teaching on some people who are talking about people who are children of the devil. And uh, it's pretty common understanding in many Christian circles, I think, to divide up the world into people who are children of God and children of the devil. And the way that they interpret those scriptures are children of God or those people who have, who have, in their testimony, they've somehow done something to uh, give their life to Jesus, to become a follower, which, again, I a thousand percent advocate for, just not in the way that we tend to think it. Like, I think Jesus is worth following. I think he's the king of the kingdom. I think he rose from the dead. I think he defeated the forces of hell and evil. Like, all of those things, I think, are entirely true and very worth all of that. But the way that we frame it in these testimonies is basically you go from being a child of the devil, meaning you're going to hell for (laughs) sure when you die, uh, to a child of God because you do some sort of ritual, whether it's a baptism or a sinner's prayer or something like that. And let's just say that maybe what John, what, let's see, which ground, ground not John. ground John, what first John was talking okay. about in Children of the Devil, I did some research on all of that, has absolutely nothing to do with any of the way that we frame it, and especially in our testimonies. But you wanted to talk a little bit about testimonies because that came up recently for you. And Many of course, times, actually, so far. Yeah. And that's been, I, that's such a common. Yeah. way in which churches, ministries, different situations, they want to Christian have people. Academia. Yeah. It's been my whole, like, yeah. I, I was part of a Christian co-op in high school. Um, for those of you who don't know, I was homeschooled. And a Christian co-op is basically where you pretend to be a normal high schooler once a week <laughs> and you go and take classes with pretend. a bunch of other poorly adjusted homeschool children. Um, and then your parent decides your grade. And so you 
like this one kid in one of my classes can never turn in your homework and rarely show up to class and almost always leave early and still get an A. Oh, um, but that com- pisses me off. Yeah, that comes back. I mean, that comes home to roost when that I when it's Professor Peter in the class that I in which For I teach. Sure. They they don't get away with that stuff anymore when they when they start citing Wikipedia with with absolutely no realistic citation method and, oh, yeah. and they sometimes they're even writing in text message forms or making little editorial oh, my comments. Professors still have to say. Please write in complete sentences. Oh, I get smiley faces on serious essays sometimes. What? It is a little stunning to me oh, the the level of yeah intellectual engagement that can happen. But continue. Christian academia. Right. Yeah. Testimonies. So, and then growing up in youth groups and everything mm. like that as well. Right. Um, one thing that we often run into is people sharing their testimonies. And it's interesting because it's very, very rarely... What I believe sharing testimonies should be, which is in an authentic moment where it makes sense to share it in the space of a conversation, like in a moment where it might be helpful for the other person to hear or it might be helpful for you to express it or whatever, it, there, there is a moment where you get to talk about your experience of God. Right, right. right. That is what I think a testimony should be. Well, and... In the, let's see, I think it's in the book of Acts, maybe is the one where I'm thinking of where it shows up, where it ta- where Jesus says that you will be my witnesses. That's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. It's Acts 1.8. And that word witness is the Greek word marturo, which we get the word martyr from. Right. And martyr, it means, uh, to, so to bear witness, the, the point of all of that is that in the Greek language, it means that your life testifies, or if you're going to have a testimony, your life testifies to the worth of and to the effect of following Jesus, meaning that as you become an increasing follower of Jesus, and and as you do that for years, in theory, who you are and who you're becoming testifies to the worth of that. So a testimony, uh, it actually should be, it's it's not about how did I go from being a child of the devil to a child of God? Uh, A testimony should be somebody who, for a long extended period of time, has been following the teachings of Jesus and has has engaged in the humility and in, in in the reality of recognizing that we're broken and frail people, and but that there is hope and that we can change and actually become truly loving and and these things from the inside out. That's what a testimony yeah. should be, but it so often isn't that in, in compared to what you're talking about in youth group and homeschool and all of this. Yeah, absolutely, and so. I what part of what I'm running into right now is I am taking a course where so far a a large percentage of the assignments that we have had to do have asked us questions at one point or another about how does this uh like impact your own spiritual journey? How does this relate to your own blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, look, I have no problem with those questions. My problem is when you want me to share them in a discussion forum or in an essay or in a whatever. And like one of the first assignments that we had to do for that class um, was when we had to do like a, I mean, it, it was basically a testimony. It was a slightly more creative take on a testimony but but it was essentially like map out your spiritual walk with God from your like testimony moment right. in, in air quotes, which they can't see because this is an audio format. Right, right. Um, but map out your spiritual walk from your like initial testimony moment to where you are now. And that will be shared with the class. The TAs are going to read it. The professor is going to read it. And it's something that you're going to be graded on. 
and I was like, no. <laughs> and I, and I took a slightly different approach to this than I did to the one that I had to do in high school, which I'll talk about in a minute. But, um, I, I was super vague. I was like, sure. I shared only what I was a hundred percent comfortable with sharing, which was not very much. It was very sparse. And, uh, of the like three paragraphs that I was required to write about it, um, two of the three were me saying, I am not comfortable sharing my testimony because I feel like that is sacred. That's between me and God. And that is my intimate personal relationship with him. And I'm not going to commoditize it for a grade. Like that's, I'm, I'm simply not going to do that. And, and so I took a slightly different approach to it than I did in high school. But when silly little 16 year old Anna was in high school, she took a speech class I remember this. And in the I think you class, didn't. You basically lie. Shh. Okay. This is my story. Sorry, okay. Let me tell my story. I just, this is my I've testimony. Never, okay, Let me tell my testimony. You tell your false testimony. Go ahead. Are you going to give me a bad grade on my testimony? I, I, I might. Um, but speech class, and then I uh, everybody had to give testimonies, and it was my week, and I made one up. <laughs> I, because I remember this. I didn't this. want to give my actual testimony. And I was at a point in my life where that was a, like, now I don't want to give my testimony because I'm like, that's very, like, intimate and personal and sacred between me and God. And at the time. So what yeah, What did you do to, no, to at, make at this up? Time, so curious. Yeah, was, I, I remember you did it, but I don't remember how it went down. At the time, the reason why I made one up was because I was like, I don't actually think that I have a relationship with God. I go to youth group for the free pizza and my friends. Yeah, I, I do remember this now, for sure. And my dad is a pastor. Yeah. And I can't sit here in my Christian classroom and say, I don't have a testimony to share yeah, thanks because for, I don't have a relationship <laughs> with God. Thank you like, for propping up my vocational image at that time. Because, oh, sure. yeah, I was, yes, um, for sure. Yeah, and, and so the thing was is that I, w- I was sitting there and I was like, I don't want to give my real testimony because I don't want to admit to this group of 40 strangers that I don't have a relationship with God. That yeah. seems like a terrible way to spend my 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> as a 16-year-old on a Wednesday. Um, yeah, so I um, made one up. And I don't remember what I said. Uh, I remember that I got an A. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So how do you think it would have been received if you had gone in and said, so here's the deal. I actually don't have a relationship with God, at least not in the way that you all would understand it. Mm -hmm. And I'm concerned about my grade in this class. And my father's a pastor. And so I feel like I need to come up with some kind of testimony here for all of you. And even though I'm kind of making it up, I'm a little bit more concerned about losing any kind of social acceptance, uh, any kind of ability to, to navigate this community. So I'm going to make up a testimony because I'm worried about what how it will reflect on my father's vocation if I don't and how it will reflect on my social acceptance here if I don't. Yeah. I, do, you, do you think you would have had some sympathetic, at least a fair number of sympathetic years in the room of people who oh, are maybe sure. playing playing a game of faith at that point too? Yeah. Uh, no, I think I probably would have. You would. I mean, you. You. But it was not. It wasn't that. Yeah. It, it wasn't about social acceptance or anything. <laughs> um, at that point, I had already gone through my like brief stint of popularity, and then I was like, "Oop, that's real scary." Yeah. Right. And then nobody's ever I actually popular. Friends, yeah. And it was great. And that last year was fantastic. Um, 
No. So it, it was less about the social acceptance thing and more just about like, quite frankly, that's none of your business. Mm. And I don't feel comfortable sharing this thing that I am like actually deeply insecure about with a room full of people that I don't know and who frankly do not care about me. Hmm, interesting. Like I was like, none of the people in this room, like I'm going to be shocked if half of them know my name. Yeah. And, and I know that most of the ones who do know my name don't care about me at all. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm like, you're going to expect me to stand up in front of this group of people and share something incredibly vulnerable and personal that I'm deeply insecure about for a grade. Uh, so even just, okay, so saying it that way, I bet you would have had a lot of people That's who are sympathetic uh, to that idea. And and especially to share your faith life, and, and I think you said some good words with that, the sacredness or the vulnerability of that with complete strangers. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I will say this for sure on the pastoral ministry side of it, being a person who... Yeah has planned services and done sermons and thought about what, you know, well, how are the other elements of the service put together? How do you plan the worship? All of those kinds of topics. I've just spent so much of my life being in those kinds of meetings. And certainly I get a sense that oftentimes if you're going to bring somebody up to give their testimony in front of a whole group of strangers, whether it's a church of a hundred or a church of 10,000, you're almost always going to look for the most fancified, fancy, you know, fancy testimony, mm-hmm. somebody who really, I mean, it almost always starts out with a broken home of some kind that then led to drugs, that then led to some sort of self-harm, that then led to X, Y, Z before they found Jesus. And, and, and here's the thing is that I think some of those stories can be powerfully amazing and real, mm-hmm. but then we commodify them and we put them up in front of people. And I know for sure that there's a sense in which if you had a room of 10 people who are willing to give their testimony in front of strangers like that, which I agree with you. Like, I, I just don't know that that is the appropriate place to do a testimony in, in those ways. But the pastor is going to pick the one person who has the most fanciful testimony in front of a whole Absolutely. group of strangers because something else is going on there that is that is different than, hey, we're doing life together and my testimony is going to shift and change all day long and in different places. And I want to be with some close people within my doubts and my fears and my faith and, and my my trials. So I don't know. Dr. Kapsner, I have a rant for you. You do. Do- you just do. call me Dr. Kapsner. That only happens once a year. You did. You did. I never do that. I felt very at home. Mm. Yeah. Um, as you might imagine, as a doctor, many people raise their hand around me. Just, oh, just waiting sure. for their turn. All the time. Waiting for their turn you to just have me dispense my Excuse wisdom. Me, yeah, Kapsner. yeah. They just they wait with bated breath. So yes, Blessed please. With the holy light. Yeah, like clearly. Moses, so you have to cover your face. <laughs> it's the sun reflecting. Clearly, on your bald yes. Head. One of my one of my cheeks is always red. Okay, so continue. Um, yeah. So, as somebody who has sat in youth groups at churches, in church camps, whatever. And has heard my fair share of like, quote unquote, powerful testimonies, which they are. And I and I don't doubt that those stories are real. But the the problem for me is that then I'm sitting there in the audience and I'm like, I know yeah. that every moment of this was carefully cultivated. Yep. That's what I mean. That's what I pastors do sometimes. currently being emotionally manipulated. Yep. For and sure. It happens. It happens in sermons on Sundays. It happens more in youth groups. The place that I've seen it the most is in church camps or like retreats or whatever, which is where 
between the worship and the testimony and like three main points and everybody's hopped up on root beer or Sprite or whatever. Probably not. not. Vodka root beer. <laughs> I knew you were going to make that joke, so I made it first. Um, but you you get everybody in this place where they are on an emotional high. They're away right. with their friends for a week, for a weekend. There's no parents. You're all hanging out. You've been playing night games till two in the morning. So everybody's sleep deprived and hopped up on sugar. You just heard some fantastic rock music that if you were listening closely was kind of Christian music, but like only if you were really listening closely. Right. You heard some deeply emotional story that unlocked something in your brain. And then they're like, guess what? That was Jesus. Hmm. And you're like, no, it's not. It's you cultivating a weekend to get me on an emotional high to convince me that if I follow Jesus and if I commit to you and your church and giving you money and giving you my body in that seat every Sunday, that that is what I'm going to feel like all the time. Yeah. And it's a lie. Well, and I think what you just said is really profound about that because I think there's this implicit understanding of the rhythm of testimony that you've gone from some version of horrible life to now some version of beautiful life. And and so most people, I think, is it Thoreau? Is he the philosopher that said that most, he said men, but I can just say people, most people are living lives of quiet that desperation. Was, you just proactively. I was. I, yeah, I was. <laughs> I'm so awake all the time. <laughs> you, Sorry, you I, know I, me. Yeah, you know me. Because yeah. they say proactively all the time in Outer Banks, and I think it's yeah, really yeah, funny yeah, when they'll be like, true. "Did you just proactively blah blah blah?" So I like we reference did, that yeah. all the time. So I just reference that at you, and then I was like, "Oh, you don't like." I mean, you know the show, but you don't know that we joke about that all. The I don't time. know. Yeah. So I was like, "Were you just proactively feminist?" I I, I totally was. <laughs> I'm an actual feminist, not in the way that it's often constructed. Right, I'm I'm right. I, but, I, like it, but yes. But yeah, we can so, talk about that another time. So, but I think it was Thoreau. I'm not even sure I'm saying the, if he's a philosopher, who he is. But he was somebody that said yeah, something at one point. Name, but the the quote has always stuck with me that most men, and, and I'll say people, are living lives of quiet desperation. Yeah. And, and I just think that's true on so many levels that if you scratch beneath the surface of just about any person. Is that Henry? And I think so. Henri? Like, yeah, because it's Henri. Yeah. So. But I don't. Yeah, I'm pretty that sure that's. I feel like if I say that, it'll be offensive. Yeah, probably. It was and, offensive when you said it. Like, <laughs> well, I'm so awake. I don't ever offend <laughs> anybody. Okay. So, okay. So, uh, so I, and I think, so there's this implicit idea in these testimonies that you've gone from a life of horror probably as a child of the devil to now a life of everything is great all the time yeah. because Jesus saved me from that life of the gutter. And in the meantime, You're constantly living in that and, yes. sugar high. and in the meantime, uh, Christians, dare I say, are still living lives of quiet desperation very often. Mm-hmm. And, I think it's, but they don't get to show it because if they do show it, then right. it means they haven't been saved. That's exactly right, and, and, and it's, and it's among the reasons why many Christians that I know have been saved, you know, a bazillion times. I've asked so many of my classes over twenty years. Mm-hmm. How many of you have said some sort of salvation prayer more than a handful of times? And, and almost everybody in, in the room raises their hand. And so, I it, there's got to be something amiss in this whole idea of. I, my life was horrible. I was in the gutter and then I gave my yeah. life to Jesus and everything is good. And, and I think what I would emphasize in that is that 
I do believe that Jesus is worth following down to my toes. And and I have studied and and been in the world of world religions. And I'm not going to say there isn't merit in some of the ethical teachings of multiple world religions, because there is. And and I, I think I the, those are, and we'll talk even a little bit about that, I think, later as we talk about this child of the devil thing and, and all of that. Oh, and one but, of the best parts of my education growing up was the fact that I mean, mom cultivated our education to each of us as individuals, which is a huge deal. But I remember super distinctly in like middle school, like late elementary and then middle school, I went through a huge like religions and mythology phase. And so it was Hinduism, it was Buddhism, it was Norse mythology, Egyptian mythology, Greek mythology. Like I sat in all of those places for like a year and a half. And and I learned so much about it. And it's still like, obviously, I don't worship Zeus or anything, but like I learned a lot from those For sure. ideas and those stories about how people think about the world. And, and I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. there's a and lot of merit. There is. And, and, not, and I, I hate the statement. All religions are the same. They're just basically no. pointing at the same thing. Because, you know, if you study religion for even half a second, you find that that's just simply not true. But there are ethical claims in other religions that you'd also be equally foolish to say that they don't have merit in terms of their understanding of the world. And in the midst of all of that, I would say that Jesus is uniquely and 100% worth following. And, and because he conquered the powers of sin and death at the, at the cross and the resurrection event, and I'm looking forward to some future episodes in which we talk about some of that. But this idea that when we start following Jesus, that our life will go from gutter to great. How, how was that for a phrase? That's uh, pretty good. Right? Actually. I mean, that's like a book from gutter to great. Yeah. I just, you know, you, I you mock great me. Some, expectations. Yeah. I mock you so much. You, well, you mock me when I have these nice little Christian phrases like, okay, so from gutter oh, yeah. to great. We assume that our lives are going to go from gutter to great. And, and as opposed to the idea that. Although I will say you could also interpret that as a negative thing because, like, the sewer grate. And so you go from the gutter down from into gutter. the sewer. G-R-A-T-E. Okay. Yeah. From gutter to great. Like you went downhill. I did. I did. It I works did. both ways. Well, but I think a lot of Christians feel that way because they get yeah. emotionally manipulated into this high based on the testimony experience. And 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 I'm not going to say that there aren't um, beautiful conversion experiences that are durable and longstanding in people's lives from this kind of testimony. But I think that the majority of people that at least I talk to that think their lives have to go from, you know, this this gutter to great kind of mentality, and then their lives don't, and they're living lives of quiet desperation, then they wonder it must be on them somehow, as opposed to the idea that to actually become a loving person or to actually become a patient person, to actually become a person of kindness or of gentleness is going to take, uh, for most people, a substantial period of time. I mean, yeah. I I may want to lose weight, but just because I want to lose weight doesn't mean, and even if I put in some practices to start trying to lose weight, doesn't mean that this is going to happen overnight. And I don't know, I just, these testimonies, we end up then saying to people at these youth group events and, and other places too, that if you give your life to Jesus, then t- tomorrow everything, you're just going to, you're going to be this brand new child of God and everything is going to be incredible. No, I would say that what that does is it creates the space and the possibility for a different kind of power to slowly but authentically and deeply work in your life. If we actually taught people what the biblical idea is of saying yes to following Jesus, like they were doing in ground Matthew and ground Mark and (laughs) and ground John, it's a very different kind of invitation. But I think testimonies leave people well, I, like you, people feeling like, I don't, I don't want to share any of this. I don't want to share what my actual journey is like. 
Yeah. And I certainly don't want to be commodified by the pastor to stand up in front and give this sort of amazing testimony that moves the congregation. And yet by... You must not really be a a real Christian if you don't want to give your testimony because then you're not actively spreading the good news. That's exactly right. But but I, I do want to say and like be really intentional about this that because I know a number of people who have had the kind of testimony that is often commoditized by the pastor. Right. And I don't think that those testimonies are any less true or any less impactful or <laughs> they, any less that, I'm so glad you're saying that. Yes. Those are and like they are so true. And often those moments have had like incredible trajectory altering mm-hmm, impact mm-hmm. on those people's lives that they will never ever forget. And my problem is not at all with those stories because Thank those you. are so, so well powerful said. and so important. It's like the woman at the well or exactly. the person who was healed and like they ran and they should have run uh, yeah. tell wanting to tell people about what Jesus has done. But your problem is not the story. It's No, not at all. And like and like I was saying earlier when you are sharing that in a moment where it feels appropriate and you trust the people around you and it isn't this weird like Western evangelical commoditization of your testimony when it is that really genuine and authentic moment where you don't have any kind of ulterior motive. Mm-hmm. Those are so beautiful and and absolutely worth sharing and worth hearing. My problem is when they're like, for the glory of God, a.k.a. the money of the church, I'm going to stand you up in front of a, wow. group of a group of people that you don't know yeah, and make you share your incredibly vulnerable story so that we can emotionally manipulate them into coming back next week. Yeah, no, that's, that's what I that's have well a problem said. with. Yeah, well, Because then it's also not about the individual person who is sharing their story. It is about the institution of the church. That's exactly right. Uh, and, and, it, and boy... When you just strip all of that away and we're talking about everybody in this world is uh, God is worthy, intrinsically worthy because they bear God's image. I mean, just full stop, mm-hmm. like full stop. And then when you talk about that, there's a power at work in this world in this power of sin that disfigures God's image and, and is, is attacking his imagers. It doesn't change their intrinsic worth, but they, all of us get wound up in it and, and it and it really begins to impact who we are and how we are in this world. And so to then be able to say, I've decided to follow Jesus and in so doing, the power of the sin begins to be increasingly broken in my life. Those are like the sacred things that we should talk about and celebrate and, and what that means to be in a community together, people doing that. So to take what caused the God of heaven to come down and and die and, and then raise again and, and to commodify that in some reason, I, I think you're a thousand percent justified in being fairly uh, to level a fairly sharp critique at the people who are using the beautiful and the the sacredness of this for some sort of emotional manipulation. But I really appreciate what you said is that we never want in, in our, in the understandable rejection of that really horrible way of treating people, we shouldn't simultaneously reject the idea that for people, a lot of them have had profound life-changing experiences in this. And so Absolutely. so to not reject the story, but while saying, yeah, we have some real problem with the way that people are getting graded on the story or whatever it all is. Yeah, I'm that's, like, what that's are you going to do? Give me, an, 
D on my <laughs> spiritual journey. Okay. Yeah, I mean, maybe if, if you went from like marijuana to to being saved, it's like yeah. a, it's like a C. If you went from cocaine then to getting get saved, a. then it's for sure A. It's a right. for sure A. Yeah, yeah. that's so interesting. Uh-huh. Well, I think one other piece of the puzzle we could talk about in this podcast and wrap up this this episode, and I'm kind of excited where we're headed with Deeper Magic because you and I will talk every week together, yep. at least insofar as we can. Some weeks, me, I'm in Scotland or you're in Scotland or stuff. Mm-hmm. Is, you've got finals, stuff is coming up. And then we're also going to start uh, introducing more bonus content as we continue to do the Garden of, uh, of Eden. So some weeks yeah. we'll have a, a sort of almost a secondary podcast that gets attached to our weekly idea. Where yep. We're inviting other voices in and continue because Noah and Holly did an incredible job on fantastic. the Garden of Eden part two. And we want to keep that Garden of Eden series moving. But for the rest of this episode anyway, the one thing that I learned that is part of this whole testimony culture really has to do with this idea from First John that people are going from children of the devil, meaning yeah. that basically there's this understanding in the world, theologically, having been passed down from St. Augustine in the 4th and 5th centuries, that every person is this depraved kind of original sin monster, which is, which is a theology that I reject. I think Augustine had that entire thing completely wrong, uh, or at least mostly wrong. Like, I I do think everybody's impacted by sin. I don't think that the core of people's life is being totally depraved. It's really the difference between being the disease and having a disease. And and Augustine kind of started us down this track where we were the actual disease. And so we're all Mm -hmm. children of the devil, at least in the way that it gets framed. And, And this is where sometimes I teach this stuff, Anne, or I talk about it, and and I say, you know, I don't believe that every that everybody coming in this world is a child of the devil, and then they need to do some sort of ritual, and they become a child of God. Mm-hmm. Like I do believe in heaven and hell. I believe those things exist. I just rejected that yeah. approach. But and some people are like, well, but that's been the way it's been forever. Like, yeah. And there's plenty of other no. there's plenty of other theologians that don't think this way at all. But this is where that's the world religion the thing comes up. One guy. Well, exactly. And and in one context, like if I had grown up in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. I most likely would be worshiping Allah with the five pillars of Islam, and I would be thinking that this is the way to understand the world. Or if I'd grown up in India, I might be reading the Rigveda and have some version of Krishna in my house or something. Yeah. And so to question this idea of, of original sin that was not in the first four centuries of our faith, or three and a half centuries of our faith, but came from St. Augustine, people are like, well, you're questioning scripture. No, I'm questioning Augustine's interpretation of scripture. Uh-huh. And just because you That's grew up- That's always been my thing. I'm I like, know. I'm not questioning the Bible. I'm of questioning course not. some old dude who decided a lot of stuff. Right. Who cares? And so, but people grow up in it and they assume that it's right. And it's not any different than growing up in Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. and thinking that God is Allah and these five pillars are, are the things to follow. To grow up in Augustinian culture is literally no different than that. And so when when I question Augustinian culture in my classes or I question it in in pulpits or in different contexts, people really do like they just want to chuck the Bible at you. And I'm like, no, the Bible really is beautifully authoritative. It's just that that, as you said, that interpretation is not. But because we have that interpretation, it's led us to this this horrendous, in my mind, biblical teaching. Mm -hmm. And this is what I heard being taught. Yeah. was that, okay, so here's the deal. Everybody is a child of the devil, meaning coming into this world, you have all of this sin, you're a child of the devil, so do something so yep. you can become a child of God. And then in here is where I had some real trouble with that. In the teaching, I mean, besides the teaching itself, 
uh, is that then they kind of laughed about it and they said, well, you would never start an evangelism program that way. You would never lead an evangelism pre- uh, program by telling people that they're children of the devil. He, 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 he. You have to be much more subtle about it and much more crafty oh, yeah. about it. And I would just, it just made me Which is sad. Why I, at 21, am still unwinding the idea that yes. God hates me. Right, for sure. I'm still unwinding the idea that I maybe am not a terrible human being. Well, at your core, and this is, and I taught this from a pulpit a couple of weeks ago, and I had somebody come up and they were like, so say how you said that again. It was the first time they'd ever heard it. I said, and this is not my thinking. There's all kinds of theological thinking out there that's reliable and trustworthy that says that, you know, leprosy in the biblical text is often a physical picture of what sin does to our heart, soul, spirit, you know, all all of that. And when Jesus heals the leper, he doesn't trade in that leper for a new leper and discard that leper and is mad at that leper and, and trades him in for a new leper. No, he unwinds the disease from the leper to therefore reveal the intrinsic beauty that was in that leper all the time because, and, and it's such a beautiful picture for sin is that um, God doesn't like somehow change us from leper to not. God it begins to unwind the disease so that he can reveal the beauty that all of us are created with. And and that's what he did in the cross and the resurrection. And that's, a, that's again, a deeper theological dive than this podcast deeper is for. Magic. Yeah, deeper magic. But for people who've grown up in this Augustinian culture and think I've gone from child of the devil to child of God, and then they continue to sin and they don't know why, and they wonder if they're child of the devil, and then we laugh about it in evangelism programs. It was just, oh. And then you're sitting there and you're hearing people laugh about it and you're like, mm, except I kind of suck and I kind of don't totally. think I'm saved. That, see, that is totally. Because then you're sitting there and you're the odd one out in yep. a group of people, but kind of everybody's the odd one out, but right. everybody's laughing about it. So Yeah, and I'm and maybe I'm, you know, somebody is thinking I'm still doing porn, I must be a child of the devil, or I, I just slept with my my boyfriend or girlfriend, or I'm greedy at work, or these sorts of things. And they're all like, Oh, I still am. Or you start thinking about your loved ones and you're like, Well, gosh, they've you know, they're children of the devil now too. And the point of all of it is is our testimonies are this whole testimonial culture, which you've already surfaced some of the emotional psychological, spiritual issues that go with it. It's also based on, I think, on a profound scriptural error around, um, I can't remember if it's ground John or first John, it's first John, (laughs) on first John uh, three, because really, and I did, so I did some research on it after I heard this, and it was not hard to figure out Uh, at the end of the day there, it was, they they said, you know, if you are, podcast cat is on the move, podcast cat is on the move. She's been, Lola's been so, um, docile for a little while after she she was was attacking all the nerf darts that your brother, your your brother's left a bunch of dirt nerf darts around here and she was eating them. Um, but the, the point of all of that is to be a, in, in Middle Eastern culture to whom John was writing, to be a child of something is simply that you are an imitator of. Yeah. And you really want it. It was such a familial based culture, a generational based culture. And the idea was, is that it was, if you were a Jewish boy or girl, the expectation is that you would grow up and you would imitate your father and mother, that you would carry on their stories. You would imitate them. You would become, want to become like them and how you were in the world. And so to be a child of is to imitate. And, and John is, is writing to a group of Christians. He's not writing to a group of non-Christians saying, stop being a child. He's writing to a group of Christians that says that in your life, don't be an imitator of the works of darkness. Be an imitator of God and of the works of light. He's just simply encouraging them in these moments to imitate 
who God is in this world, become in the fancy Christian language, become Christ-like, increasingly yeah. imitate who Jesus is, which is one of the key themes you see imitate all throughout the biblical text. And so to be a child of the devil is not some statement that you are filled with original sin and therefore destined for hell unless you do some sort of magic ritual. Yeah. To be a child of the devil in the biblical text is it, it's just an invitation to believers primarily to say, don't imitate the works of darkness in the world. You're, and then John goes on over and over again and says, you are supposed to be people of light in this world. Stop being people that are imitating the darkness in this world. You are the hope of the world. You are meant to imitate the light in the world and draw other people into the light that actually rescues us. That's the point of the teaching. Yeah. And I, I think there's a, a potentially really dangerous way that that could be interpreted where then it is, if you are imitating the works of darkness, if you are doing something that the modern Western American church considers to be sin, then you are a child of the devil. And then the connotation that often will come with that in the modern Western institutional American church right. is that you are beyond saving. You're not worth saving. You're totally. not worth time or energy or effort and God hates you. Yeah. And that is not it at all. It like... If you mess up or you sin, to use the word that has been just so completely, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyways, if you mess up, that does not make you a child of the devil, which That's I exactly think is right. how that That's can exactly be right. interpreted. Um, and, and I think I want to be really careful about the language around that because I think you can interpret it as not being part of the doctrine of original sin. However, that does not then mean that if you mess up, you're a child of That's the devil, exactly you're right. beyond saving. You're like, it's also not that at all. You can be a child of God. You can be an imitator of Christ and still make mistakes. Yes. And that, and that's where grace begins to cover the journey. And that's the, I mean, Anna, you said it so well that if our invitation instead, and dare I say as a biblical invitation instead, that full stop Every person that you would ever meet anywhere. And, and I love how C.S. Lewis talks about it, the idea yeah. you've never met a mere mortal. It's immortals that we're, that we're walking with, right? And, and, so, and every person has intrinsic value and every person is an image bearer, full stop. And every person, uh, Christian and non-Christian alike, have in, this, in the midst of this present darkness we're in a disease. It's a, it's a, it's a disease that is the disease of sin that impacts everything on every possible level. And there is a rescuer from that disease. That's the point of who Jesus is. And we don't get fully rescued on this side. I mean, that's part of the point of death and, and rebirth into new life on the other side and all of that. But yeah, you don't, you don't fluctuate between a non image bearing, valuable, intrinsically worthwhile person who is a child of the devil to now a worthwhile image bearer. Every person is an image bearer. Yeah. And you will, as a Christian, continue to, in your life, at times, more often than I think most of us would ever care to admit, continue to imitate the devil. Like that passage would be much better translated if some of the translators perhaps weren't committed to a theology of original sin from the fourth century yeah. and understood Middle Eastern culture and knew the familiar account and just said, basically, don't imitate the devil. And, and, um, and that's going to happen even as a believer. 
And your invitation then in that, as we all do, and we all fail in that, is know that we're covered by God's grace and say, okay, so I'm going to repent and I'm going to turn around and I want to bring light in this world and light and love and laughter and hope and be that kind of person because Lord knows all of the intrinsically valuable image bearers who are living lives of quiet desperation need to see people of genuine and authentic hope. Uh, in this world that are growing in those kinds of ways. And, and that we don't, I wouldn't, we don't go from gutter to great. We go from gutter to people who in the maddeningly slow ways at times truly become people of hope and light and joy in this world. Um, that's at least the possibility. And we're going to mess up like crazy. And you don't, so you don't suddenly go from between child of God and child of the devil and you don't need to get yourself saved 10,000 times over. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's a very different process at the end of the day. And, and I would just hope that our testimonies are, you know, at the end of the day, life is difficult and life is really hard. But my testimony is that I can at least taste whispers of love and joy and hope in this world because of what Jesus did. I don't know how to say it differently than that. That certainly has been yeah. the only place where I can find it. So, I, yeah, for, for people who have been, you said it well, that are worried that they're still children of the devil based on all of this crazy teaching that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just unfortunate for so many. Yeah, it, it really is. And there's no, I mean, it's not that there's no grace, but very rarely is the the freedom of grace offered then to themselves and to other people in the same way that God offers mm-hmm. it to us because it's it's just not taught to us. Like that forgiveness and that grace and that love, it's it's taught to us in theory but what is taught to us in practice is that shame and that fear and that mm-hmm. self-loathing. I, I know we've talked about it on the podcast a couple of times, but I sometimes invite my students to finish the phrase where our sin abounds, what abounds all the more. And, the, and it takes them a second and they're like, hang on a minute, grace abounds all the more. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, and then I actually have to stop at times and say, so what if that was actually true? Yeah. What if for all, for anybody who's given their life to Jesus and they're still struggling with their sin or whatever, you know, as your sin is abounding, what is abounding all the more? And they're like, well, hang on a minute. Grace is abounding. It's like, what if that's actually true? What kind yeah. of person, what kind of person could you increasingly become if knowing that we're still all zoos uh, in the inside out, if you could be real with the kind of person that you are and knowing that grace was going to greet you, not to just keep you in that place or to celebrate you in that place, but just to say, you know what? There's, there's, there's more to than this life. And, and I really can help you move from some version of desperation to life. At least, I don't know. You must know some people in your life that aren't living lives of quiet desperation that really have been on this, this journey in a different kind of way from a Christian standpoint. And, and they have a sense of stability about them that speaks of maybe a long-term journey. I mean, I like, I can think of a few. Right. But it's a very, very small group of people. Right, right, right. So that's Children of the Devil. That's your testimony. That's yeah. all of those sorts of things. I still can't believe that car you made trouble. it. Yeah, and car trouble, all of those things. This has been deeper magic. I don't. Do we have anything else we need to talk about in this episode? I mean, I don't think so. You wanted to talk earlier about how you don't tip me at work. <laughs> okay, so let's wrap that up. Okay, so that's what we'll finish up with. All right. So last part of it, I was in the coffee shop this morning. Yeah. And I don't know that's why. That's why I checked my phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. That was the that was last thing. So I was not, I, I clearly was not um, a very good Christian in this moment because you served no. me coffee this morning early I in the did. coffee shop. Uh, I came in. I worked hard to serve you the easiest thing there is to prep. 
So when you looked at the tip and saw that my options were 10%, no, it was $1, $2, and $3. And I don't know what, I chose two <laughs> this wow. morning. For, for, my own, for my own daughter, I chose two. Wow. Yeah. So did, did you did you see it and think, gosh, or like, what did you think? Honestly, no, I didn't look. I rarely look at the amount that somebody Because I always tips. tip you three. I always tip you three. Well, thank you. I yes. very much appreciate that. Um, I... So I don't get to see what percentages you could tip. Yeah. Like I don't see those options. So I wouldn't have known that you could have tipped more. Right. Um, what I do see is like your total plus tip right. at the top. But then there's a much bigger button at the bottom that says like view receipt and then another one that says new sale. And I only ever really notice it when somebody doesn't tip because then the like line of text at the top is about cut in half. And so that's when my brain is like, oh, something's different. And then I'm like, oh, they didn't tip. Right. But the only time when I will like actively look to see how much somebody tipped is if either they were really, really nice or if they were really, really mean. Okay. <laughs> um, those are the only times where I will like really look to see how much somebody tipped. Um, or if it was like a massive order and I'm a little bit upset about it, then yeah. I'm going to be like, okay, did they at least tip well? Because if they did, then that's okay. But so I just enough. straight up hit the new sale button and like moved on with my life. So you didn't and even see you it. Were like I was horrified. With I, guilt. I felt like a child of the devil. You I felt like, like I was, I I was imitating the devil for sure. I was like, it's fine. Yes. It's okay. It's a dollar. I'm all right. <laughs> I will say though, and I think you'll appreciate this. I have had a conversation with probably two thirds of the people that I work with. And every single one of us that I have talked to so far. When we go to the bank or like one of my friends went charity shopping with one of her friends and spent all of her tips that she had had in cash that she had been saving up since she started working there. Which doesn't sound like a weird thing to do, except that when you're a barista, you often will get tipped in ones, which means you go right. to the bank or to the store or the whatever and you pay with a stack of dollar <laughs> bills. And two-thirds of the people that I have worked with that I've talked to about this have all felt the need, like internally, we've never expressed this externally, but all of us internally at some point or another have said to ourselves, I'm not a stripper. I'm a barista. <laughs> That's oh why I gosh. have a stack of dollar bills. So you need to say that out loud. Like, not out loud to the other person, but just in my own brain. Sometimes yes. I need to be like, I promise it's not weird. It's okay. It's I work at a coffee shop. It's over there. You can come see me. It'll be fine. But like two thirds of the people that I work with, I was like, do you ever have that thought? And they were like, all the time. The things that I learned from you uh, oh, yeah. on this post 10 o'clock makeup and worry about your vocation based on the stack of bills that, that you present like, no, well yes well indeed well we can wrap it up there maybe i'll tell a story of another time of all the change That's that that i saved up too. yeah that is part of your testimony but another time i'll tell the story of having a bunch of change and small bills like that and we saved them up and my buddy and i went to the dog track back when dog tracks were a thing but that will be a different That's story so Christian. You're not it'll, be, it'll be a different story for a different wow. time fun to catch up fun to chat a little bit yeah, uh, i hope this is helpful good. to just hear a little bit about uh what it means to be a child of the devil and it's not at all what we think and i hope it's hopeful yeah. for people at the end of the day on that so this has been the deeper magic i'm peter i'm anna thanks for listening everybody i'll talk to you soon bye
Magic is produced by Audio on the Rocks, and our music for this episode is Auroras of Saturn by Music L Files. You can head on over to filmmusic.io and find that there, all licensed under Creative Commons 4.0, viewable on the site as well. 